Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Good morning, Hope Gateway. My name's Wanda Stahl. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And um, I'm very grateful to be here in person with all of you and online with all of you this morning. Um, I was telling Sarah this morning, um, I haven't preached in person in three years, so hopefully I haven't kind of forgotten what this is about. Anyway, so about a month ago, I was sharing with someone that I was asked to preach during this sermon series on the topic of hope. And she looked kind of surprised and responded, and you said yes? So I didn't tell her I actually chose this topic from the list that Ophelia had given me. But I've been thinking a lot about hope lately, and this seemed like a good opportunity to try to pull my thoughts together and perhaps articulate something coherent that could also benefit others. So welcome to my musings. I'm grateful for the preceding topics in this series on groundedness, imagination, humility, ritual, and community, all of which have a significant role to play in living a hopeful life. The passage I chose to accompany us today is from the book of Jeremiah in the Hebrew Bible. Jeremiah was a prophet, often referred to as the gloom and doom prophet. He'd been warning warning the Hebrew people that they would soon be conquered by the Babylonians and sent into exile. So needless to say, Jeremiah was not a popular guy. No one wanted to hear bad news, and in an effort to silence him, Jeremiah was thrown in jail. However, Jeremiah's predictions were coming true. As we get to this 32nd chapter of Jeremiah's story, the land surrounding the city of Jerusalem has been captured by the Babylonians, and Jerusalem itself is under siege. But while in prison, Jeremiah receives a word from God, and this is where we pick up his story. So from Jeremiah 32, verses 6 to 15. Jeremiah said, the, words, the, the Lord's word came to me. Your cousin Hanamel, Shalem's son, is on his way to see you. And when he arrives, he will tell you, buy my field in Anathoth, for by law you are next in line to purchase it. And just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel showed up at the prison quarters and told me, buy my field in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin for you are next in line and have a family obligation to purchase it. Then I was sure this was the Lord's doing. So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy with its terms and conditions, and the unsealed copy and gave it to Baruch, Neriah's son and Messiah's grandson, before my cousin Hanamel and the witnesses named in the deed, 
as well as before all the Judeans who were present in the prison quarters. I charged, charged Baruch before all of them. The Lord of the heavenly forces, the God of Israel proclaims, take these documents, the sealed deed of purchase along with the unsealed one, and put them into a clay container so they will last a long time. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel proclaims, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. So this piece of land that Jeremiah is offered is currently in territory occupied by the Babylonians, enemy territory, and hardly prime real estate. But apparently Hanamel is in need of cash, and by Hebrew custom, the next of kin receives first refusal when the property is offered for sale. Logically, Jeremiah's agreement to purchase this field in Anathoth makes no sense. However, Jeremiah has received word from God that he is to purchase this land, so he does so. This passage details the legal and very public process that Jeremiah undertakes to purchase this property. This public act is a statement of hope for a future in the midst of a very grim present. He tells the people that houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Jeremiah's act invests in that future vision in the midst of seemingly insurmountable odds. So before we explore further what Jeremiah might have to teach us at, about hope, it may be helpful to name what hope is not. So in popular usage, hope can be equated with wishful thinking. Like, I hope it won't rain on Tuesday during the baseball game. Or I hope they aren't out of chocolate ice cream when I get to the ice cream shop. That could be pretty tragic, but that's another, another sermon for another day. Um, but in more consequential matters beyond ball games and ice cream, hope can be equated with optimism. And optimism is often linked in a key investment in a particular positive outcome. And if things don't go our way or seem unlikely to do so, we can easily move into apathy or despair. Optimi optimism cannot sustain us in these times. We need a stronger, more resilient companion, and hope is her name. So let's return to the story of Jeremiah to see what insight he offers into what living a life of hope means. Practicing hope means believing that living out the call to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God is meaningful work even, and perhaps especially, in the face of uncertainty. Jeremiah is doing his best to demonstrate trust in God's promise for a better future when he purchases land in occupied territory. Acting out of hope does not ensure that everything will get better, will get better in the way we expect, or that we will see the result. Jeremiah asks for the property deeds to be stored so they will last a long time. In other words, he doesn't expect the present reality to be changing anytime soon. In fact, Jeremiah dies in exile and doesn't live to see the promise fulfilled. But this does not negate the power of his present action in purchasing the field. Jeremiah's hope-filled action strengthens his resilience and the resilience of his people in the face of occupation and exile. This understanding of hope has been articulated in more recent times 
by former political dissident and eventual president of the Czech Republic, Václav Havel, who states, hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something is worth doing no matter how it turns out. Living a life of hope means living a life of faithful integrity, whatever the outcome might be. No matter what the future holds, Jeremiah's action offers inspiration and hope to the Hebrew people for getting through the present moment. Practicing hope does not require denial or minimization of difficult realities. Hope is not a pair of rose-colored glasses that obscure the seemingly insurmountable challenges before us. Rather, hope calls us to look those challenges in the face and seek to overcome them, even if we have no idea how that will happen. Jeremiah is in prison because he's been naming the reality that no one else wants to hear. Yet despite his grounding in this reality, he chooses to act in a way that claims a vision for a better future. The one who warned the Hebrew people of impending destruction also believes their restoration is possible. Practicing hope also leaves space for doubt. Immediately after the passage we read this morning, Jeremiah launches into this long prayer to God. And in this prayer, Jeremiah thanks God for the many ways in which God has been faithful to the Hebrew people in the past. But at the end of the prayer, Jeremiah names his present reality and essentially asks, are you sure that buying this land was a good idea? <laughs> Jeremiah needs God's assurance that he has done the right thing. And God assures Jeremiah that he has acted faithfully and that a better faith, a better future is possible. So hope as described here and practiced by Jeremiah does not come easily. And this is where the gifts and benefits of living a life of faith become apparent. So what good is faith in nurturing and sustaining hope? First, faith tells us that God is with us as we engage in hopeful action for a better future. Hope is rooted in the belief that our actions on behalf of justice and restoration have implications beyond those we can see. Faith tells us that God is working with us to bring about good in the world. There is a power within and around us that multiplies the effects of our actions beyond what we can see or imagine. Jeremiah received this promise from God, and we see this promise repeated to others throughout Scripture in the midst of times of unrest and uncertainty. Second, Christianity is a communal faith. And being part of this community, as Sarah shared with us last week, helps prevent us from slipping into despair as we seek to live justly in the midst of current realities, such as violence, racism, and climate change. We have companions on this journey who work alongside us, whom we support, and who support and sustain us when our own energy and resolve is waning. And this community includes more than just those of us present in this physical and virtual space. Scripture and Christian tradition offer story after story of people who live hope-filled and faithful lives in the midst of challenging times. As we ground ourselves in this legacy of our faith, we can be inspired and empowered by the faithfulness of others. 
and we continue this legacy with our own hope-filled living. Third, faith provides us with spiritual practices that offer wisdom, insight, and strength for practicing hope. Personal spiritual practices such as prayer and meditation and communal rituals like worship help us to stay connected to God and to one another. When we engage in these practices, we are more able to set aside our own agendas and our fears and live more fully in our mission to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Spiritual practices also offer space to express and experience joy, lament, and gratitude. Jeremiah demonstrates that practices like prayer also offer space for expressing doubt and regaining connection with God. Grounding ourselves in the resources of our faith helps us to maintain hope even when the journey is difficult and happy endings don't come. Writer Madeline Langell offers an example of what it means to live a grounded, hope-filled life in the face of tragedy in her memoir, Two-Part Invention, The Story of a Marriage. In this book, she reflects on her long marriage to actor Hugh Franklin as they are journeying through his diagnosis, treatment, and death from cancer. I read this book over 30 years ago, and Lengel's wisdom and resilience when faced with the death of her spouse has stayed with me over these many years. Her reflections on prayer and love through this challenging time offer insight into the power of hope grounded in faith. Langle describes how many people were praying for Hugh's recovery after his cancer diagnosis. However, despite these prayers, Hugh's condition continually worsens and he dies. Friends and family members then wonder what good were their prayers? And as Langle reflects on this, she writes, Hugh has been surrounded by literally hundreds of prayers, good prayers of light and love. What happens to all these prayers? when not only are they not answered, but things get far worse than anyone ever anticipated. We do not know. We will not know in this life. Some prayers are magnific magnific yeah, I'm having trouble, magnificently answered. But this summer, the answers have all been negative. Surely the prayers have sustained me, are sustaining me. Perhaps there will be unexpected answers to these prayers, answers I may not even be aware of for years, but they're not wasted. They are not lost. I do not know where they have gone, but I believe that God holds them, hand outstretched to receive them like precious pearls. Prayer is love, she says, and love is never wasted. Hopeful action offered in love on behalf of one's loved ones, one's wider community, and the planet is never wasted, even when visible evidence may indicate otherwise. Ultimately, practicing hope is as much about changing us as it is about changing the rest of the world. The two are intertwined. The final chapter of Brian McLaren's book, Do I Stay Christian?, focuses on Christianity's potential to help us become more fully human. His concluding words summarize what hope-filled living looks like in these challenging times. What is this quest, he asks? To become the most just, kind, and humble version of ourselves that we possibly can, day by day. To practice a faith that expresses itself in love, 
to lean with others into a new humanity, a new generation or new kind of humanity, open to every good resource that can help us. Neither ease or certainty are options for us, being who we are, living when and where we live. In the absence of ease and certainty, what amazing things can happen? Life can happen, wonder can happen, faith, hope, love, and unspeakable joy can thrive in difficult, difficulty and uncertainty. May we seek to live into the reality of this promise. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.